for those of us here this morning, those tuning in online as well, Lord, we, we pray that we would be so aware of the greatness of who you are. We pray for hearts to be opened and awakened, for eyes to have fresh and new perspective. Lord, we just, we know if we can see you, if we can just behold the greatness of who you are, if you can mold us and make us more into your image, that is our earnest longing and our desperate desire. Come and have your way for the glory of your name, we pray. King Jesus, amen. Amen. Why don't you quickly turn, Acts chapter 20 is where we're headed this morning. We're continuing our series through this book and we're in what's a, a wonderful passage. I say it every week, but every week I read the passage before us afresh and just the Lord speaks and encourages me and becomes my new favorite passage. So that's why, that's why every time. There's just so much in His Word for us. As we set the scene last week, we're, we're in this account in chapter 20. It's kind of this tender chapter, this insight into Paul as he's saying his goodbyes, as he's gathering people together. And it culminates in the gathering of the Ephesian elders, remembering that Paul has had this incredible revival, we can call it, in uh, Ephesus and beyond into Asia Minor and the whole region, the gospel's been proclaimed and prevailed mightily. There's been signs, wonders, and miracles. There's been mass repentance and conversion and people turning back to Christ. And he's now reflecting upon these two or three years that he spent in this particular region. And so he's gathered the elders together and we briefly uh, pulled out one aspect of this under the theme of now, it's been a bit of a, a strange season that we found ourselves in, but what is it that we can grab a hold of and bring through? What has the Lord been doing? What's the Lord been showing us and encouraging us as some of the important tenets that we can grab a hold of? This is not my message for today, but my wife and I, this time last week, uh, were looking at our schedule for the coming week, for this past week, with school resuming, with the... Uh, the kids' activities, various places, the office here opening up again. And to be honest, I had a bit of a mild panic attack, just thinking, that's right, that's what normal life is. There's kind of many parts of the lockdown period that we could just go back to a partial lockdown, you know, just lock down all that busyness and all that other stuff. And, but uh, there's, there's things, I believe, that, that God, as there is in every season, is calling us to grab a hold of, things that he's really stirring in our hearts. We looked at one last week. I want to look at another one from this particular passage. Let's read it together, and then we'll reflect upon that one aspect for us this morning. Verse 17, he says, He gathers all the elders. The elders of the church come to them. Verse 18, it says, of chapter 20, book of Acts, And when they, being the Ephesian elders, this group of people, the leaders that he gathered together, when they came to them, he said to them the following. This is his final words, reflecting back upon his time, encouraging, exhorting them as to what they were to hold on to, what it was in the midst of everything that they'd seen from revivals to riots that was important for them to never lose their grip on and their perspective of. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials that happened to me through plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards Christ and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained, literally means led or compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Imagine hearing that word from the Lord. Oh, give me a word for the year. And you hear, well, there's imprisonments and there's trials and there's challenges. What would your response be in the midst of that? Well, listen to this. Verse 24 is what we're going to come back to. In that context, he says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry, or we could say the the calling, the commission that I've received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, that's our theme. That's our mission this morning to unpack that a little bit. But let's just read on to get the full context. He says, And now, behold, I know that none of... Uh, You among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is my goodbye. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church, which he's obtained with his own blood. He cares for his church because he paid the ultimate price for her. What a perspective it would be for pastors if they just grab a hold of that. Anyway, that's another message there. We'll move on. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among them your own, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This was our focus here as he concludes last week. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. He worked, we believe, to provide his own way. He relied or depended not on offerings or giving. He encourages that to be a practice within the church. But he himself, he said, I I didn't want to do that. I've worked hard, he says, in this way. We must remember to help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he kneels down, he prays, there's weeping, there's embracing, and there is a bittersweet farewell. Quite an incredible passage. So we looked last time at this this clear picture of what it was that, that compelled, what was his motivation as he ministered. And he makes it clear, he said, I wasn't ministering for some sort of prestige or fame or something that that would benefit me. He ministered out of love. He said, I've admonished you. I've encouraged you. I've stood alongside you day and night through the tears, through the, the triumphs, with no other motivation guiding me than that compulsion of love, to love as he'd been Love, And he, of course, encourages them, this is by way of review last week, that's our mission, not to be an army of enforcers, but an army of lovers. And our prayer is that we come through this season, as every season, with this renewed commitment to love well. Not because we agree on every issue, but because we've been shown the most radical love that ever has or will exist will exist. We've been loved unconditionally and therefore we're called to love well and to love sacrificially. So that's the first. I want to come back now to verse 24 and have a look at this 
second aspect of something that I believe Paul is reminding these Ephesian elders of, which we too should be reminded, and which something something in this for us that's been stirring in my heart in the midst of the season we've been in. Verse 24 again, he says, But I do not account my life or of any value nor as precious to myself. Now, let's just think about what he's saying there. See, this is not Paul's moment of having a few self-esteem issues or in some way doubting himself. He's not saying, I don't think very much of myself. Rather, he's saying, here is the thing that's motivated me. There is nothing, there's absolutely nothing in me that wants to live for me alone, to live for my own status, to live for, for my own gain and prestige, even the fact that the Lord has just told him that as you continue this journey, there's trials and troubles ahead, there's persecution, now, there's, there's difficulties, even imprisonment. He knows he's launching into that. But he's like, it's, it's cool. That's all good because that's not what I'm living for. I'm not living for some prosperous life. I'm not living for something that the world would look on and say, well, look, he's blessed every way in the natural. He's looking for something far greater than anything this world could offer. And this is what he says. So he says, I'm not living for anything there. Here's what I am living for. He says, if only I may finish my course and the ministry or the calling that I've received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So in the one sense, he's saying, this is what I'm not living for. This is what I am. This is the one thing. It's not one on the list of 10. It's not amongst and a part of the other callings and desires of my life. He's saying this is the one and the only desire, the calling that is driving me, that's compelling me through. Even a word from the Lord that says, it's all gloomy clouds ahead. That's all good. Because here's my mission. It's to finish the race that he set for me. That's, that's, that's it. That's all I desire in my life. If there's you know, pain in the offering, if there's revival, if there's trials, if there's triumph, the thing that's carrying me through is this sense of call. And I love it. He says, a call to proclaim, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is not just the grace that you say around the dinner table in the evening as you bless your food. He says, I'm testifying to the grace the kind of grace that grabbed a hold of him, that turned him from a murderer into a missionary, that turned him from the great persecutor, the killer of Christians, to the great preacher and proclaimer of the gospel, that kind of grace that grabs you, rearranges you, leaves you breathless, and puts you back together the right way up. He's saying, that's what's motivating me. It's, it's this call of God on my life, and it's greater than anything else. And I love that picture because he's making it clear. He's, he's saying, you guys have seen it. You've seen the highs and the lows. You've seen you know, the, the greatest revival that you guys and probably the known world had ever seen. You've seen the riots and the tears and the trials and the triumphs. And he's saying, from the highs and the lows, when the handkerchiefs are healing people and you're up on a pedestal, to the times when your head's on a chopping board, and people are calling for your blood. This is what keeps me going. It's the call of God that is upon my life. See, he lived with a purpose. He lived with this sense of God's calling upon his life. What, 
what a contrast that is. Just think how, how in contradiction that sort of a, a pronouncement is to everything we hear in the world around us today. If you want to find your purpose, just look within you. Look to, look to what you could, just find your inner sense of happy. Just, just somehow look there and that's where you will find your purpose and your meaning and the thing that can call you forward in life. You're here because you deserve it. You've earned it. You're worth it. Whereas this is Paul, the great apostle. He said, this is what I've discovered. All things I count as loss. Not even, not even as some value compared to what? The joy of knowing him. The joy of living for him. The glory of a life spent in soul pursuit. Driven by that sense of his call on my life. That's it. Bring on the trials. Bring on the triumph. Bring on revival. It doesn't matter. If that's there, then I'm compelled and I'm moving forward. And I want to encourage your hearts in that area very quickly this morning. In this area of calling. What does it mean to live a called life? If you want a title, that's it. The called life. What does it mean? What does it look like for us? And we could easily do a whole sermon series on that particular topic. But I want to set it up. I want to hopefully encourage us just briefly in this area. Probably leave more questions than answers, but trust that the Lord will do something in the midst. It has, uh, as we've mentioned many times, it has been an interesting season, just in case you've been hiding under a rock somewhere and not known the events that have been happening around us. And for me, I kind of like to see some of the, some of the symptoms, some of the things that are happening around us. Uh, I came across an article, it was reported in the ABC, news.com, various other news outlets. And the title was, the particular article I read, uh, the title was The Great Resignation, Why Australians Are Looking to Quit Their Jobs. Did anyone else come across a title, an article like that, a few nods around the building? I thought that's interesting, I'm going to have a click on that. But this, this was the, uh, the emphasis on, on this particular article. It, it said this in summary, the unrelenting pressure on already burnt out and psychologically damaged workers has prompted a phenom phenomena that they're calling the great resignation, and it sounds a little alarmist, but it says here, and this will lead to the biggest movement of talent being within the workforce that Australia and the rest of the world has ever seen. Now, you might think, well, that's... It's a little alarmist, but what news article isn't these days, let's be honest. And they're making this point based on a, a particular global research and advisory firm by the name of Gartner. They've done some extensive research, 20,000 plus employees, and identified two key drivers behind what they're calling the great resignation. The two key drivers are this. Number one, it says during the pandemic, so remember it's not just Australia, this is around the world, in different workforce spaces. The first thing they drew out was this. 85% set of employees globally experienced higher burnout and worse work-life balance. I thought that was fascinating in a time when most of us have been at home. You think we're all coming back refreshed and relaxed and ready to go. 85% they said of people have come through this particular season with a greater level of burnout than when they started. So the good news is if you're feeling a little tired, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's a number of people out there who are feeling that same sense of, wow, what, what has happened over this past season? I don't quite know how to process it. And there's various factors, I'm sure, that are feeding 
into that particular aspect of their research. The second one that grabbed me was this, the second key driver, and in their own words they said, in the midst of this season, this is a quote, says the pandemic has given people the opportunity to reflect on what's truly important. So first big driver has been burnout, we're tired, we're exhausted. The second one is that with everything stopping and ceasing and the usual rhythms of life gone, people have actually been thinking about, well, why am I actually doing this job? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I not doing something else? And of course, it's those two key drivers that have, um, as a result, caused them to predict this mass movement in the workplace. What are we called to do? You see, I think it's been one of these challenges of the season, but also a great gift and something the Lord's been in, that as things have been stripped back, as the usual activity has ceased, the thing that God continues to impress upon my heart is, what is the sense of purpose that we're living for? Where is that sense of calling on my life, upon us more generally, and upon and within society around us. And you see, here's my prayer. It's not that we come through this season and we see a great resignation, but that we come through this season and we see a great revelation, a great refocusing, a great refining, that we come through with this greater clarity, with this greater passion for and this greater urgency surrounding this one thing. What is it that we're called to do? Why are we here sucking oxygen on this planet? And I think that is something that is very worth us thinking. And as I said, it's far beyond our time this morning to fully unpack. But here's what we see in Scripture. I think this is fascinating. From the very beginning, we see that man has been a called creation. What happens in the garden? Adam is there and Eve. They're given a call and they're given a commission. Not just, hey, well, just do whatever you want. Just just look within you, figure out what you want to do, look to your own desires and just be doing that. You'll find your own purpose. From the beginning, God gave them a call, didn't they? Specific call and a specific commission. We move on, we look at Abraham. What was it that defined Abraham's life? It was the fact that he was called by God. He knew the call of God. Same with Isaac. Jacob continues, Moses in the burning bush. How did that story unfold? It came about because of the calling of God. He was called to go as God's spokesperson to set his people free. We can move all the way through the Old Testament, the prophets, the judges, the kings, the nation itself. What continues to define God's people? A sense of calling. Never does he say, well, just go about your own business, just Figure it out, just look within you, find your own purpose. He gives them a calling. And of course, here is Paul, he's saying, the very thing that drives me, this is what compels me. It's not my idea, it's not something that I dreamed up that I thought maybe I could make an impact here. What drives him is this sense of God has called me. God has called me. And so before we think, okay, well, yes, but we're looking at the Apostle Paul, we're looking at the kings and the prophets and these other great people that God has used, let's just consider these couple of passages of Scripture. Hebrews 3.1, the writer there says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, 
who share in the heavenly what? The heavenly calling. We're all called. That is you and me. Romans 8.28, famous passage. says, in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called. We've been called, not according to our own purpose, but according to his purpose. We looked at communion at this Phenomenal passage in Ephesians 1 about this God who chooses us, this God who predestines us, this God who calls us. One of my favorite passages, 1 Peter, just one more, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Don't you love that? Like you have significance. You are created in his image. You are an image I'd love to do a sermon series on it because it changes everything. It changes how we view ourselves. It changes how we view other people, especially those who disagree with us. You know, they're created in the image of God and therefore deserving and worth of love and value and respect. Sorry, getting distracted. Sorry. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His light. You're chosen and you're called. Chosen and called. See, here is my point. See, calling's not only in the Bible. It's not only reserved for the elite and the special ones, those who have significant calls. The calling of God is not only here, it's here. It's here in this room. Each and every one of us is called and should know, I would say, must know that sense of God's calling in our lives. You cannot escape it. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's there. It's there with every breath. It's there with every turn of the page. It's there with every step that you take. This sense of you're on this planet for a call. Not something that the Lord made up as you've navigated through. Before he laid the foundations of the world, he predestined you. Ephesians goes on to say he's created good works. Woo! Are we on? Battery flat? There we go. We're good. He's created us for good works. He's created us with purpose in mind. And this is the thing that we can celebrate, we can revel in. For the atheist, the agnostic, the secular humanist, they're faced with this undeniable, unnerving reality that nothing ultimately means anything. That's the prevailing world of the, the view of the world. It's no wonder we're so depressed and discouraged. There is no purpose. There's nothing. I've just got to try and find something here. Christianity stands in such stark difference. Every breath has, has meaning. And not just the good stuff. Every trial, every twist of the journey, every, every difficulty, every struggle, God is there. It's infused with meaning to give it purpose, to give us joy. I mean, we should celebrate that. We should revel in it. And we, sh we certainly should discover it in our lives because it's the very thing that pulls us forward. See, there's only two options in life. Either we live for the glory of us or we live in this glorious plan for him. What could be more glorious than seeing lives transformed and seeing sinners come alive, rescued from darkness into light? Seeing the prodigals come home. There's, there's no greater mission that ever has or ever will exist on earth. This is a funny example, but we had this time 
uh, my wife and I, we were heading a couple of, couple of years ago off on a holiday. We wanted to take the kids to a theme park. That was partly getting to the theme park. It was partly kind of encouraging them and inspiring them in their, in their savings. And we said to them, here's the big picture. We want to take you guys to a theme park. And at that stage, we'd never been there. And I could see their eyes light up. We're heading to the Gold Coast that particular holiday as we, as we normally do. Still waiting for the call of the Lord to move there, but it hasn't come yet. So heading to the Gold Coast, I said, guys, we're going to go to the theme park. Oh, amazing, but here's the catch. We're going to give you a little bit of extra pocket money each week, and we want you to save towards that. I think we had about six months before we were going there. We made sure we were giving them enough money each week to be able to put aside in order to head there as a family. It was going to be this great, glorious mission, enjoying all that the theme park could offer. And it was so funny watching them. And we've got one child in the family who will remain nameless, but she is the best saver. Like, if I'm short of cash, I'm going to hurt because she has an abundance of money and she took this as a challenge and she squirreled it away. She, you know, invested and divested. There was multiple income strategies and and she, she had enough virtually to pay for the whole family by the time we were going. She's the saver of the family. We have another child. I won't ask for a show of hands who's in this category and I won't tell you where it comes from, but she's the spender in the family. And so she couldn't walk through the shops without that, oh, but it's so pretty. Oh, that would taste so good. That would make me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. And so we kind of just let this go and continue. And it did. It came to the time that we were about to head off on this holiday. One child had more than enough. One of our children, <laughs> we pulled out from the, the, the money bank and she had about 17 cents in there. You know, like there was, there was nothing. There was pennies. And you could see the revelation dawn on her eyes. She's thinking... That's it. I'm going to miss out. I've got no money here. Now, of course, that was a whole other dilemma because what do you do now? We can't really leave her on the outside of the, uh, the theme park and we worked that one through. It wasn't a, um, a completely valuable exercise, although hopefully there was a lesson in the midst there. But this is the point. See, life is this gift. That's what Scripture tells us, that we've been given breath in our lungs as this glorious opportunity to give him praise, to honour his name. And either every triumph, every trial, the highs and the lows, it points us towards this greater reality of who he is, or every failed attempt to satisfy our own desire re- makes us realise, as the saying goes, that living for our own pleasure is the least pleasurable thing that we can ever do. There is this glory of Christian calling. It's present, it's prevailing, it's there. And this is what I love about it. It's just as present when you're washing the dishes, when you're loving your kids, when you're mothering and fathering, when you're in that stage of life, when you're balancing the books, when you're standing in the pulpit proclaiming, when you're feeding that. But whatever it is, there's there's that sense of a life infused with calling of God. See, Never in Paul's passage here does he say, well, I was called to, to preach and you know, I had to work and I had to slave away and I spent most of the time working and that really distracted me from the call of God that was, was on my that, And that was the call. And gee, I, I really wish that I could have spent a bit more time if only you guys had you know, provided for me. and I could. There was none of that, was there? He's saying, I lived amongst you, burning with the call of God. What did that look like? I love this. You know what it looked like? It looked like preaching, but it looked like just hanging out with them. It looked like working a nine-to-five job. It looked like washing the dishes. It looked like doing life with people. 
And I want to encourage us that you don't, you don't need to be on a pulpit. I mean, let's get rid of that misnomer. You don't need to be on some position of power and influence and authority to know the calling of God. I'm convinced that the greatest in the kingdom is going to be the, you know, the widow, the widow's might. It's going to be the little faithful prayer who had no prominence in this world but spent her days on her knees seeking the Lord. And not only is it present and it's pervasive, here's the last point, we'll get Ali to come up. It is powerful. See, this is not just some little call of God that gets us through the bumps, that kind of holds us steady. All of these examples we've talked about, these were calls from God that literally shaped and changed the course of history. And not because people always got it right. It wasn't the ones God chose that did everything right, that never stumbled and that, that was not the picture that we see in Scripture. It was a people who grabbed a hold of God's call. What was it that got, caused Paul to have such a great impact? I would suggest as many things. We looked at his motivation of love and the fact that he said without love, it's nothing, it's just noise, it's a clanging gong. But here's another one that I want to encourage our hearts with this morning. He was a man that lived with this profound sense of call. It was the purity of his call. Not just one in the midst of other things that he was doing. In the midst of everything he was doing, from the preaching to the working, it was his call. It was the purity and it was the priority. Bring it on. Pain and suffering, fantastic. More revivals. Whatever God's got for me. Fantastic. He is my only mission, my only priority, that I'd finish the course, that I'd live out the calling that he has upon my life. See, we will only ever be as effective as the purity and the priority of the calling that grabs a hold of our lives. Os Guinness He's a very well-known writer and author. If you're interested anymore in uh, reading, pondering this area of call, I'd recommend his book written some 20 years ago. I found it particularly useful in this space. He's got a book called The Call, Finding and Fulfilling the Central Purpose of Your Life. And he says this. I love this quote. He says, We will only ever be as effective as the purity of our purpose. Is the church of Christ Jesus ready to meet this challenge? Are followers of Jesus sufficiently gripped by the gospel? Do we know the truths of the faith that have a proven capacity to affect history and transform cultures as well as radically alter individuals' lives? Calling is indispensable to the integrity and the effectiveness of the church in this momentous hour. He wrote that over two decades, 20 years ago. But I want to just finish with asking us a few questions. If you want to just turn your attention to the Lord as we bring this time to a close, put aside your Bibles, devices. I, don't, I want us to just examine and think for a moment, what is it that's driving our lives? Perhaps you have had moments similar to the research we read earlier where you've been pondering and thinking, well, why am I actually here? What, what, what am I doing? What is my purpose? Where really is 
that sense of calling. As I said, my prayer for us this morning is simply this, that this wouldn't be an opportunity to get caught up in the great resignation. Well, forget about it. It's not worth anything. I'm just going to go on whatever it is, fill in the blank. But this would be a moment for a great revelation for us to see again the wonder of who he is and as a result, a great recalibration, a great refocusing and refiring about this indispensable and absolutely essential reality of the call of God. Let me pray for us. Just close your eyes. There's there's one simple truth, and that is you're never going to know the call unless you first know the caller. I want to give you an invitation this morning. If there's anybody out there and you've never met the one who is called Jesus, the one who is Savior, the one who is Redeemer, the one who is the eternal God that predestined you, that purposed you with love, with affection and with intention before he laid the foundation of the world. And if that's you this morning, you know, it would be my absolute privilege and pleasure to introduce you to him and his radical grace that will rescue you, that will redeem you, that will turn you up inside out and right way up to discover his incredible love and the call that he has for your life. If that's you, I want you just to come forward this morning and I'd love to pray with you. For the rest of us, my prayer is that there would be for each and every one of us a refiring of that sense of the calling of God. We are the called. It's not supposed to be something we just read, we agree to. It's supposed to be something burning in our hearts. But like the Apostle Paul, we can witness and say, yeah, that was, that was, that was what drove me. That's what drove me through my career. It's what drove, drove me to, to do my business well, to love my kids better. It's what drove me to be a, a better husband and wife. That's, that's what's led me every season of the way. That incredible sense of his calling on my life. So, Father, I pray for us this morning. I pray that our hearts would be stirred. I pray that they'd be encouraged. But, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just leave this this place having heard a sermon, having heard a message, without having your Holy Spirit doing what you need to do in our hearts and our lives. Lord, the hour is urgent. The times are critical. And I pray that as we look back at every season in our life, we would have that sense, as Paul said, of the undeniable calling of God. In every season, from the youngest person here this morning to the oldest, Lord, recalibrate and refire that sense of your calling upon our lives. To see every breath, every moment, the ups and downs as an opportunity to give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you And Lord, for for those of us here this morning, if there's anybody and they feel like they've completely lost that sense of calling, they left it behind, it's another season, another day perhaps, 
Lord, I pray this morning that there would be something that sparks afresh in our hearts. Something that drives us out of bed each and every morning with joy, with passion, and with perseverance to press in to see you glorified. Let it burn within our hearts and the Spirit of God come and show us things we've got to lay down, if there's things we need to realign or recalibrate. But we want to be a people, not just, not just here to amuse ourselves until the glory on the other side. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to be a people continually pressing you with that passion and purpose of God. Pray that in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name. Can you say amen? Give God glory this morning. Praise you, Jesus.